Welcome to another episode of A Rock and Roll Rabbit Hole, where I'll be digging through my vinyl collection of about 500 records and my tiny brain of about 500 remaining brain cells and taking a light-hearted, laid-back, positive fanboy's look at my favourite songs and bits of songs and artists that fall within a different, pointless and set theme every episode. It really is just an attempt to archive some great YouTube content stories and some great songs for like-minded rock music fans. Choosing from any song part or artist that has given me joy as a listener or a slight Norwegian wood as a musician. It won't be a countdown, but I will leave my favourite choice for last. This is just a bit of chilled, unnecessary fun that hopefully inspires someone to buy music, listen to an old favourite album, support a musician and check out some of this amazing shit that has formed the soundtrack of my life. As a lot of people these days do like to share their opinions, please let me know if you think that I have missed anything in my record collection that I know and that I like by sending me an email at I won't ever check this email address at gofuckyourself.cockgoblin.com That's cock spelled with a K and I'll get back to you as soon as I give a shit. But seriously, if you do want to say hi, you can hit me on Instagram and Facebook, A Rock and Roll Rabbit Hole Podcast, or via the website, arockandrollrabbithole.com. The website also has Spotify playlists of all of the songs used in each episode, past episodes, and some other golden magic. I've also put some small playlists of the great, lesser-known artists that I feature at the end of each episode on the Victims tab of the website. Please subscribe to the podcast, share, rate, and review the podcast if you're digging it. That is super helpful and appreciated. Thanks again, and here goes. Thanks again so much for listening. And before we start, I want to thank Charlie Kimpton, Ross Hetherington, Glenn Howard, Dave Brick, Raylene Williams, and someone called Mostly Dutch in the USA for a nice review. Thanks, Dutchie. Zeer bedankt. So in this double episode, we are constructing an anatomically incorrect human using body parts found in the lyrics of songs I love. So this is part two of last week's part one and the second part of that first part. So I would take a second to check out the first part first as hearing the second part first might take your brain a second at first to work it all out. But if not, that first bit may make sense in a second as we quickly refresh where we got up to in the last episode. Recapping the Belief that my big ball should be out every night. Scary hair, yeah, yeah. Pubic hair. My cock will suck. Deactivated lasers with my dick. He can suck a cock. The pussy's vagina with a poopy that's stabbing. Why don't you forget the moose? Three boys and dumb. 
Broken hearts of assholes. You sniff the reeking buns of angels. My ass going right at the group. Shoot. going to need hands. We've already used two great hand songs in previous episodes. This one in episode five's Colours of the Mexican Flag. And this one in episode six is Fuckfest. Last week in part one, we heard a cleaned up version of a Tenacious D song. And on rabbit hole digging on that, I also found a live version of the Darkness's Get Your Hands Off My Woman from 2006 in Malaysia, where the rules are a little bit tighter. I love the way Justin still did his end of song crowd sing-along, which is usually motherfucker, but he's changed it to Malin Farmer. He also hinted at dropping a movie star's name. Check it here. One of the things that they said was uh, no swearing, so you'll notice that I haven't sworn this evening. <laughs> and I don't intend to either. I, I think it's nice to not swear. There's a lot of great kids out there and I think it's important not to swear. <laughs> the second thing that we had was uh, no pelvic thrusting of any type whatsoever. So you'll notice that all movement in my body has been from the chest upwards. <laughs> yeah, I don't even bend my knees for fear of uh, infringing some sort of uh, guidance. <laughs> so. Everyone must, okay? And that's good. So we're going to sing a song which uh, in the United Kingdom had a lot of swear words in it and we're going to do it without swear words. So, yeah. No, but you should be, no, you should be happy because it's a special version for the Malaysian audience only, so. We're special, guys. We're special. 
No, you can't have that version. You'll have to travel for that version, unfortunately. So this one's called Get Your Hands Away From My Woman, Melon Farmer. You know what to do now, right? You repeat after me, okay? You know how to do that? So when I go, Melon! You go, Lovely melons, guys, well done. We could also do Muddy Funster. Have you ever heard that one before? That's a good one, isn't it? <laughs> Morgan Freeman, for those of you who are cinema buffs. Um, <laughs> well done, you guys. That's brilliant. Sorry, but not a bit sorry, and then very sorry. Here's another Beatles tune for one side of the hands needed for this rock and roll human. With some of the greatest and happy, perfect drum fills into each chorus, fills that I missed in bonus episode four's Ringo. Well, Paul, we see the I Want to Hold Your Hand as number one on the hit parade, and we have a copy of it here right now. So let's uh, sit back for a moment and listen to it. There's a man 
you know He's the host of the show And you'll find that he fucking hates choirs I wanna hold your hand, hold your hand When I touch you I feel happy ah, It's such a feeling that my love I can't hide Please hide. How did you come to write that? I want to hold your hand. Um, oh, let's see. We we were told, this was one of the songs that we were told we definitely had to get down to it. We had to get working. So we went and we found, uh, it was, it's, actually it was an old disused house that we found. We were just sort of walking along and we just thought, we, you know, we've got to really get this song going. So we got down in the basement of this disused house and there was an old sort of piano there. Wasn't really disused, you know. The house there was sort of rooms to let. We found this old piano, and we started banging away there. And uh, we stayed there. And well, yes, there was a little old organ there too. So we were just having this sort of informal jam session down there, and we started banging away. And suddenly, uh, just a, li a little bit came to us. Uh, I think it was just sort of the, the, the catch line. And so we started working on it from there. And we got our pens and paper out, and we just wrote the lyrics down. And uh, eventually. You know, we had some sort of a song, so we went back and we played it over to our recording manager, and he seemed to like it, you know, so we recorded it the next day. Do all your songs have a basic theme or story or message? Um, no. <laughs> well, that's a great answer. No, they don't, but the, there's one thing that nearly always um, <clears throat> seems to run through our songs. People always point it out to us. That's the... Uh, I and you and me is uh, always seems to be in the title, you know, I want to hold your hand, she loves you and love me do and things like this. Well, <clears throat> I think the reason for that really is that, that we uh, nearly always try and write songs which are a little bit more personal than, than others, you see. So by having these, these prepositions, whatever you call them, I and me and you in the titles, it makes the songs a little bit more personal, but I think that's the only sort of basic message that does run through our songs. It's just a side rabbit hole on that last bit of I Want to Hold Your Hand where they sing, I Can't Hide. When Bob Dylan met the Beatles in 1964 and introduced them to pop, he was surprised to learn that they had never tried it, as he misheard I Can't Hide for I Get High. continue down the Dylan Beatles rabbit hole, here's the Beatles jamming on Rainy Day Woman from the 1969 Let It Be sessions when they were recording I've Got A Feeling. Everybody had a good year, everybody let their hair down, everybody pulled the socks up, everybody put the foot down, oh yeah.
So we need one more hand, and here's Bill Withers. A lot of folks of all different nationalities and things come up to me and say, I dug my grandmother too. And I remember the first responsibility I ever had was to take care of my grandmother, make sure she got everywhere okay. And at that time, I was maybe five or six years old. And the most I could have done was let her fall on me if she decided to fall. But it was a hip job because grandma never went nowhere but to church. And it wasn't one of them sad churches where they sing them songs that make you wish you could just hurry up and die and get it over with. One of them kind of let me Grandma and them had one of them churches where they sung. If you wanna have me, Jesus, it's alright. If you wanna have me, Jesus, it's alright. And at the funeral, they used to have to tie the caskets down. Yeah. Yeah. And they had them fat sisters in there, used to get so glad in, in the rhythm. Had a little stove in the center of the church for heat, and invariably one of them fat sisters would feel so good she would jump into the stove and holler, ow, right in the rhythm. Grandma was like Bobby over here, Bobby Hall. She had a tambourine and a triangle. When I saw Bobby with that tambourine and triangle, I couldn't help but hug her. But Grandma couldn't play the triangle good like Bobby can, but she could deal with the tambourine. So I used to sit on the triangle and hand her the tambourine. And the Honorable Reverend back there had an old bass drum that somebody gave him. And when the groove got right and the fat sister hit the stove and hollered and grandma shook the tambourine off the hip, the reverend would get the feeling so good he just hit himself all upside the head with the drumstick. Yeah. I love that old lady. Love that old lady. Grandma's hands clapped in church on Sunday morning Grandma's hands played a tambourine so well Grandma's hands used to issue out a warning She'd say, Billy, don't you run so fast Might fall on a piece of glass might be snakes there in that grass Grandma's hand Grandma's hand I know we only need two hands, but I've opted for a spare hand just in case. And here's Ben Harper with my own two hands. Check out the film clip on the Golden Magic page. See the guitar he's playing, the Maiden MS2000, which is a Melbourne-made guitar. I own the same guitar and check out my Instagram feed for a photo. With my own two hands, Ben Harper. I can change the world With my own two hands Make a better place With my own two hands Make a kinder place Oh, with my, oh, with my own two hands 
So here's a song we heard only a couple of episodes ago in episode 19's Lyrics Not Titles, which painfully mentions fingers, then knuckles, then elbows, then shoulder. Stink Fist by Tool. song that mentions the wrist. Flick of the Wrist by Queen. a cool little thing on YouTube where they'd isolated Freddie's lower vocal for the verses. Check it out here. Dislocate your spine if you don't sign he says I'll have you see it double Intoxicate your brain with what I'm saying If not you lie in deep trouble Work my fingers to my bones I scream with pain I still make no The band Cake have a great album called Prolonging the Magic, which has a song which mentions things your fingers may do when you sleep. When You Sleep by Cake. When you sleep, where do your fingers go? What do your fingers know? What do your fingers show? Where do your fingers go? Yeah. When you sleep, do they tremble on the 
edge of the bed or do you fold them neatly by your head? Do they clench like claws against your own skin when you're living your day all over again? When you sleep, when you sleep, where do your fingers go? When you sleep, what do your fingers know? When you sleep, what do your fingers show? When you sleep, where do your fingers go? But here's a super great quirky song from Jellyfish's masterpiece record, Spilt Milk, that mentions fingernails. Sabrina, Paste and Play-Doh by Jellyfish. Far behind the forest of flying paper airplanes Grazing on the grounds of ponytails The substitute is counting down her ticks till recess Hammering down to size her fingernails Because today We're almost there now, we just need the head and a few extra bits and we have built a human out of great song parts. Let's start with the head. This is Fire in the Head by The Tea Party. I've always liked the interesting time signature play in the verses, which I think is 4-4 and then a bar of 5-4, similar to the Beatles' Don't Let Me Down, where the first line of the verse is a bar of 5-4. Check it out here. Nobody ever loved me like she does. Ooh, she does. Yes, she does. And if somebody loved me like she do me, ooh, she do me. Yes, she does. Another song that effortlessly uses 5-4 but for the whole song is a song that I'll use for the mind part of our weirdly constructed body. And that song is When Your Mind's Made Up by Glenn Hansard. You can hear Glenn here attempting to count it off in Austria in 2014. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, right? 1, 2, 3, 4, no. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. <laughs> Sorry. All right. Yeah? I ain't... No, never mind. One, two, three, four. <laughs> I'll be at your door 
when there's nothing worth running for. When your mind's made up, when your mind's made up, there's no point trying to change it. When your mind's made up, when your mind's made up, there's no point trying to stop it. You see, and had all by yourself. When there's far from, there's nothing else. When your mind. Anyway, back to the head. Here's Fire in the Head by the Tea Party. You stay silent, knowing always in time. See how this love stays divine. See. How this love stays divine You Stay Silent Knowing Always in time See How this love stays divine See How this love stays divine Sleep Hoping, knowing, always in time See how this love stays divine See how this love stays divine This is the way, step inside We probably should use a pretty face for this hybrid human, but instead I'm going to use an Aussie classic. Then I'm going to mix it into a live recording from Melbourne from 1988 that shows the rest of the world how to do a choir. The Angels, am I ever going to see your face again?
is going to need some sweet lips and here's a song we heard way back in episode one's building intros that mentions the lips the hips and the fingertips and that song is the rival sons too bad Those lips are stuck to David Bowie's mouth from China Girl, featuring the great Stevie Ray Vaughan on lead guitar. was written by David Bowie with and recorded by Iggy Pop in 1977. Bowie's version, featuring Stevie Ray Vaughan on guitar, was released in 1983. 
Here's a bit of Iggy's version. Inside the mouth we have the tongue and here's an Aussie classic, Diesel, tip of my tongue. ACDC song for the teeth and it's kicked in the teeth. I'm going to add this one just for anyone out there who doubts Bon Scott was a great singer.
not sure if Bon Scott was a big flosser, and I am reluctant to take dental advice from the British, but let's have some emergency backup teeth using Supergrass's great pop song, All Right. Obviously, lots of great songs that mention the eyes, but I wanted to pop something in a little bit newer. Here's James Bay talking about Hold Back the River, which mentions eyes in the chorus. It's a, quite a metaphorical thing that, you know, the lyric Hold Back the River. You don't exactly run up to someone and say, hey, hold back the river. So, yeah, it's definitely a metaphor. It was about a year ago, and it was the end of the year, and Christmas was coming up, and it had been the busiest I'd been in, in, in that year. Um, you know, with music, um, and because I've been travelling a lot suddenly, and like you know, getting on planes, kind of travelling, and all of that stuff, and I was cool with that. But it was also my first experience of not being able to, you know, be with or be in touch with all my kind of most important people, family, close friends, those guys, for long periods of time, which is, you know, sort of knocks you a bit when you first start to experience that. It's kind of weird, and it's, it's definitely something to get used to, I guess, with, with this stuff. But I had this gig coming up. I had my first headline show in London, which I think was my first headline show proper one, um, you know, as me uh, in, in, in general. There was like 100 people in, in the basement of a pub called The Slaughter Dam. And I knew that a lot of friends and family, a lot of those important people were going to be coming, so I thought, it's all good, it's cool, you know, because I had loads of stuff to do after that before Christmas and the actual end of the year. But I thought, it's all right, I'll see them then, and we'll get to, you know, we'll, be a, we'll have a long night, and it'll be great. Um, so, so it was going to be all about Christmas, and, and Christmas came around, and I had like a solid two weeks where I, I'd flown back from America, I was finally back at home, and I was like, I'll be able to do it then. And th- that two weeks felt like it went by in a second, you know, it was like, felt more like two days, and um, I, I was really kind of rocked by this, this feeling that I, you know, I, I felt really disconnected from it all all of a sudden, and, you know, the few sort of exchanges that we'd had were... Yeah, they just a little bit, kind of felt a little weak and I was a bit worried by it. So Hold Back the River was really born out of all of that, that big sort of new feeling. And, and kind of wanting to say to all of those people that I know like right now, you know, I'm not around very much, but I'm never gone. You know, we've always got the phone, maybe even like an email or something. And, and it was just wanting to sort of put that, you know, have that um, and I've, I've, I've sort of, uh, Documented is a bit of a cold word, but kind of had to have, um, yeah, sort of made that statement to myself as much as to anybody else. So I didn't exactly go and tell each one of them the story, but I wanted to, yeah, I wanted to say that. And, and sometimes that's what songwriting is about, is, you know, you have a feeling that you don't exactly confront another person with, or the person that it's about with, but you need to almost put it to bed in a way, um, for now at least. So, yeah, that's, that is all kind of how Hold Back the River was born. Try to keep you close to me but life got in between
So we'll grab one eye from James Bay and one eye from Soundgarden from their song, My Wave. My Wave was, it was either next to the last or one of, or the last song that we wrote for Super Unknown, I think, in its entirety. We were just rehearsing. Um, and I don't know what we were rehearsing for. Was it, was it for more tracking or was it actually for being able to just play the new songs. I know it was pre-production. We were definitely at a vast rehearsal. We started jamming out the riff and sort of like that. Yeah, it was the end of a rehearsal. We were about right. to leave um, and, you know, it's almost like we were just about to grab our car keys and I just started playing the, just that of right. the riff. And then everybody immediately just started playing the song, which meant that... That's cool. That, that oh, if we all are playing it enthusiastically, then yep. obviously it should be a song. So, and then, you know, it was, it's simple, so it didn't take much to, to turn it into a real song. It was two days later. Kind of spontaneous. And... It seems like a lot of songs we did that way back in the day, like we would sort of, we'd hit one spot, like maybe we'd find a good verse or chorus or something, and then Chris or Kim would take a tape home and come back with a chorus the next day or a bridge or something like that. So that was one song that we definitely, um, we sort of pieced together over the course of, I don't know, three to five days or something. Yeah. When we wrote the Star Spangled Banner, I felt like that was a moment where, um, that not just sonically and, and harmonically and melodically, but just in, in, even lyrically, we were kind of reinventing what we did. And the fact that it became as successful and as an important song as it is, is that a lot feel? And don't forget about the forgotten second verse. Uh-huh. Like when Kim came in with it. And the rocket's <laughs> red red, the bombs bursting. I was gonna, I was saying, no, she, the bombs are bursting. The balloons are bursting. Yeah. Because like, the only way we can make it a party song. But we decided we'd reinvent the wheelie. Another 5-4 nugget, Soundgarden, My Wave.
out of the road first if you are playing along at home and you're not quite on board with my acquire hatred yet here's a few notes that might get you there (laughs) just because you can doesn't mean you have to it was almost like we were still making a night at the opera we just loved it we reveled in it Freddie came up with a magnificent little sort of foray into white gospel, if you want to call it that. And we really worked our harmonies on Somebody to Love. Freddie's great inspiration for Somebody to Love was Aretha Franklin. He absolutely loved Aretha. Freddie would like to have been Aretha Franklin, actually, I think. From that point of view, okay, Bohemian Rhapsody, big hit, but I think a song like Somebody to Love Mm. is, in my estimation, a better sort of, uh, from the writing. We were using the studio to its maximum capacity, painting a picture like on a huge canvas. We had a gift, really. We had three voices which really blended instantly. Freddie had this wonderful, crystal, clear, sharp vocal sound. Somebody to love, Naturally, I've got the powerful high voice. He's got the dog whistle pitching, (laughs) very high voice. And I had quite a sort of warm sound, I suppose. Put the three together and you instantly have something which sounds very sort of Panavision. Try and keep their attention. You've got to sort of really tempt them. Like, okay, you can have a little break, have a coffee and biscuits. And then while they're sort of in a good mood, grab them, you know, and do another sort of 50 million overdubs. We used to call it the sausage factory in the end. Because we could, we got good at it. We got so good at it, we could just bang them out, you know. So rather than playing somebody to love, I actually found a vocals-only version, which is absolutely incredible. And here it is. The lovely use of multiple voices. Oh, yeah, I forgot to mention that it mentions the brain in the bridge. I work hard, he works hard. every day of my life. I work till I ache my bones at the end. At the end of the day, I take home my heart and play. Oh, goes home I'm on his tired own. Down, down, my knees and I start to play till the tears run down from my eyes. Somebody, 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 somebody please, anybody find. 
A song that mentions eyes, specifically emerald eyes, is a song we heard way back in episode two's Girls' Names, but we don't need any more eyes. So we will harvest the body of Jolene by Dolly Parton for the skin and the hair. It rubs the lotion on its skin or else it gets the hose again. Your beauty is beyond compare With flaming locks of auburn hair With ivory skin and eyes of emerald green Your smile is like a breath of spring Your voice is soft like summer rain And I cannot compete with you, Jolene Talks about two in his sleep And there's nothing I can do to keep from crying When he calls your name Jolene And I can easily understand How you could easily take my man But you don't know what he means to me, Jolene forgot that we need a neck to hold this massive head up. Here's a little known Aussie song from the 90s by a band called Skunk Hour with a great singer with such a great vocal tone. Up to our necks in it by Skunk Hour. Washing away under the sun Vanishing my street heat Melting on top Laughing away I've cut throat up and values Looking for some Getting too few Breathing fumes and pipe dreams single snare that I could have put in bonus episode number five. We might need a spine too, so this song also mentions a face and a thigh, and of course mentions a spine. 
I briefly mentioned the song when comparing it to another song in episode 20's Bracket episode, and the song is David Bowie's Suffragette City. Here's David talking about the character and album Ziggy Stardust, which is the album that the song is on. I mean, uh, Ziggy Stardust is a yeah. classic illustration, but so how much of Davy Jones was in Stiggy Stardust? In fact, I was going, that was going to be my next uh, project, was Stiggy, <laughs> Stiggy Stardust. Yeah. Or was it Freddy Stardust? <laughs> um, I don't really think there was... You know there was a guy in England just last week. He was in the papers. Um, we, we have a comedian called Freddie Starr over in, in Britain. He, he, Freddie Starr's the guy who ate the hamster. I don't know if you remember the story. Freddie Starr eats hamster. <laughs> that wasn't in the Times either. Um, and uh, this fella uh, looked a lot like me, and so he went to a plastic surgeon to get his flight face changed, and now he looks like Freddie Starr. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just thought that was a really funny story. Where do we go from Well, come, we come back to it. How much, how much of Davy Jones was oh, in yeah. Ziggy? Um, I don't think there was very much at all. I mean, I honestly, uh, I was just trying to, I was trying to create an idea of how to expand rock and expand the horizons of it. And I took as the alien form for Ziggy, as as he was supposed to be an alien of some kind. I based him very much on a Japanese concept. At that particular time in the early 70s, we knew so little about Japan, and Japan really hadn't exploited itself and brought its stuff over to the West, you know, so it still seemed like an alien society. But it was a human alien society, so the big you could make a human connection to um, Japan far, le uh, far more than you could say to Mars, which would be, you know, just beyond. Um, so how easy was it to leave the character behind? You, you killed him off so emphatically. Yeah, I, I didn't concert. have a problem with it. I really didn't, because I really wanted to move on. In 73, we'd, uh, you know, incredible. The whole thing lasted only for 18 months in all, I think. I mean, it's just incredible. We did one year's worth of tours. We never even played Europe. We played England and the States. I should have killed my manager. We never played Europe, never played Australia. And it was over. It was just over, I decided, that's enough, I don't want to get, you know, imprisoned by all this. And I mean, I, because I, I really wanted to, towards the last two or three months of the whole Ziggy tour, I'd already kind of decided what I wanted to do and what I wanted to write. Um, so for me, it was just absolutely necessary to move on. Here's David Bowie's spine mentioning Suffragette City. need a nose and here's Nuno Betancourt with a nice bag of backup body parts including our nose in Crave featuring his ex-wife from Baby Animals, Aussie singer Suze Damachi on backing vocals. Here's John Mayer talking about Nuno on Instagram Live when Nuno types into the chat and he mentions a bit of two songs that were in last week's Heart Medley, Wholehearted and More Than Words. Nuno Betancourt's right in, he said he was 
in between sets with like Steve Vai and what did you, did you say Zach Wilde too? Oh man, Nuno Bencourt is one of my favorite guitar players in the world. And let me tell you this, Nuno Bencourt and I have a lot in common. Well, at least one thing in common, but it's a big thing. Nuno Bencourt has a song called More Than Words, which was a very big pop song and it's kind of broke, broke it open for him and his band Extreme. Of course, everyone knows the record Extreme 2 Pornography, which included songs like More Than Words and Hole in My Heart, which I both, I learned both on the guitar, you know. But this guy is such a great guitar player that he's known still as the More Than Words guy is a bit of a crime. And what am I trying to get at? Your body's the wonderland is my More Than Words. That's what I'm trying to tell you. Now, More Than Words is a significantly better song than Your Body is a Wonderland. But the confusion, the cognitive dissonance that both Nuno Bencourt and myself have created, did I just call myself a good guitar player? I guess. I'm no Nuno Bencourt. So for the chin, I'm going to use the Kings of Leon song, On the Chin. And here's drummer Nathan and singer Caleb Followell talking about family fights and faces. Any band, they have their disagreements. And obviously, everyone has disagreements with their siblings. And so the combination of the two, I think people, you know, anytime we would, you know, get into something together, they would... It's easy, it's an easy way to sell the paper or magazine, you know, brothers fighting and, I mean, we did used to, we used to fight a lot, but. Was it punch-up stuff or was it just verbal? Yeah, we'd use, it, it would, not usually. But like brother, you know. It would get there. But like yeah. brother rules, you know, no punching in the face. No knives. No, nothing that could affect you if you had an interview the next day or TV. A lot of, lot of kidney shots, a lot, lot of rib shots, a lot of punches to the back, you know. It takes a pretty good punch to knock the breath out of someone from hitting them in the back. Anyone can do it from the stomach, but. I think we were so young when we started that 
we were kind of forced to grow up a lot quicker than probably we should have naturally, especially Jared and Matt. I mean, we basically kidnapped them from, they didn't even get to go to high school. You know, their high school was touring around the world, which pretty sure most kids would trade, you know, models in Europe for um, history class with a stinky girl next to you or something like that. We lived good and hard there for a little while while we were younger. And, um, you know, it just comes to a point where as a band, all the bands you're surrounded by, you, you make the choice. Like, we can either go this hard for another record or so and then just kind of fade out or we can actually, you know, have a go at it and try to make a career out of this. And fortunately for us, we were able to tour with some pretty big bands that were kind of, you know, kind of guided us like, you know, it's fun to, to be wild and crazy, but you can still have the best of both worlds. And I think once we finally realized that, that that's when things kind of changed. And uh, we learned to be a little more private about our, our tiffs and our, um, our fights and stuff like that. These next two are the last of the body part mentioning songs before we take a break, and they mention the ear. The first one is a great Rolling Stones ballad from their album Black and Blue that mentions ears and a knee in the first verse. Fool to cry. Well, I come home, baby. And I've been working all night long. Put my daughter on my knee. She said, Daddy, what's wrong? She whispered in my ear so sweet. You know what she said? She said, Daddy, you're a fool. You're a fool. And it makes me. The second song I'm going to use for the years was Peter Frampton's biggest single at the time, reaching number 10 in the UK and number 6 in the USA. And I'm only stating these facts as it remained his biggest hit until 1977's excellently titled, and the reason that I'm talking about it, song, I'm In You, which I have never heard, but I just wanted to say I'm In You, great title. 
I actually only know two Peter Frampton songs, but wanted to add this one as the story behind the time frame in which Baby I Love Your Way and Show Me The Way Were Written is the kind of small rock stories that fascinate me. I just wonder if he had something else to do that day, if his career would have been way different. I can relate to having the sweet sound of the sea 24-7 in your ears. Show Me The Way and Baby I Love Your Way, two of your biggest hits, you write on the same day. Yeah. What a dick. <laughs> Is there anything special about that day? Were you particularly relaxed? Were you were you what driving was in your, what was yeah. happening that day? Let's recreate that day. It was the, the, What the, happened that day? Well, I'm not sure if it was raisin bran or cornflakes. <laughs> yeah. uh, left side of the bed, right side of the bed. I don't know. You don't know. You know I don't know, but I um, I had had uh, I was there in the Bahamas for for 3 weeks to write. That's all I had to write the album. First 2 weeks I was Why uh, did you only have 3 weeks to write because that? Because I album? had to come back. We had a studio booked right. to start the Frampton album. And show me the way in Baby I Love You, where you wrote entirely yourself? Yes. Yeah. You just sit down, you take out the guitar. There, there's something must have been going on in your head, right? You're sitting mm -hmm. there in the, in, in the warm weather. You're nude. Where, was there a girl? <laughs> What's going yeah, on? Right, right. Was there a girl in your life that inspired these songs? I assume they're, they're uh, uh, yes. love songs. Yeah, they are. Yeah. So they were written for someone. Yes. Was that woman with you or were you apart from her at that point? Apart. You were apart. Yeah. Do you call her on the phone and go, you're not going to believe it. I wrote two songs about you, baby. <laughs> you better get back over here. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, because she was married at the time. Oh, oh she was married. Yeah, yes. Oh, you devil. <laughs> so I couldn't call. You mean, in other words, those songs were written about a woman <laughs> yes. that you had had a love affair with. Was hoping to. Was hoping to. Yeah. But she was married. Yes. So you were pining away for her. I, I, I'm not sure if it was the actual pining, but, but I was a longing. Should we call it a longing? A longing. Did you ever <laughs> act on it? I mean, did you, did you ever uh, hook up with her? In the end, yeah. I bet, because uh, you've written these songs about her, for God's sakes. If that isn't the greatest aphrodisiac. So she leaves so her husband. <laughs> she leaves her husband for you because yeah, of these songs. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately. But but she didn't look at it that way. The heart wanted what the heart wanted, right? She was a married woman. She was unobtainable, and you wanted her. Do you think she was more attractive to you because she was married and she was forbidden fruit? Probably. Yes. Yeah, I think so. And so show me the way. Let's yeah. take you back. Now we're on the island. Yes. You're apart from the woman you are fantasizing about. Yes. You sit down, and in a matter of minutes, this comes pouring out of you. Take it away. I wonder how you're feeling. There's ringing in my ears. And no one to relate to, said the sea. So that's the last of the body parts songs before I get to my favourite, but I want to add when I can a funny, crazy or interesting story about one of the songs or artists in the episode. And this story is about ACDC. I've used both Bon Scott songs and Brian Johnson songs in the double episode. 
and here's Malcolm and Angus talking about the Back in Black album. Well, Back in Black is, uh, I suppose, it, you know, the, you know, you've got the black cover and you've got everything. Uh, for us at the time, it was, you know, we had lost our singer, Bond Scott, and, uh, and it was our, as a band, our tribute to him. So we felt, you know, it would be good if we came up with a, you know, a, a title that we, we felt summed it all up and, uh, you know, Back in Black seemed, you know, a good, good title. And we also felt, well, we wanted to cover in black and we wanted, uh, you know, it to be black, it was more respect, you know, like, you know, if you're in mourning, you wear black. So that was our uh, tribute to him. You know, so that's how the title come about and the, and the, the cover and the whole album, wasn't it? That's right. And it was, uh, you know, Mutt Langer too, he was, because he'd done Highway to Hell with us, that was the first album. So when we got to Back and Black, you know, he, was, he knew the pressure that was on, you know, because... And, and that was his real first success yeah. as a producer yeah. and with Highway to Hell. So yeah. the pressure was on himself, too, to come up with yeah. something better. better yeah. Which we, we... And we were... We wanted to carry on. And when, yeah. when we got over Bond's death, we, when we, carried, we, we thought, well, we've... You know, another thing kicks in then because you've lost somebody and it, yeah. and it makes it all more uh, meaningful... To us, to, to to come up with some good stuff, you know, some really good stuff, some different stuff, you mm. know, some something that can really show that we we want to stay around to, you know, and uh, and the combination of mutt and with the band and the pressures on from both sides, you know, producers, mm. management, band management. Um, and we had to get away from all of that, so we went to the Bahamas. And the first day, everyone had their shorts on, running around in little mini bikes, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. And the next day, and we'd gone into the studio, and everyone come in with their shorts on because it's really hot there. Yeah. No one could play their guitars <laughs> with, with shorts on, except for Angus. <laughs> so, so we all went, "Fuck this! Let's get our jeans and fucking t-shirts on and get back in here, and just like." And, and lock ourselves in this studio, and uh, and that way it put us back into the, the serious side of it all. We had a day of sunlight; <laughs> that was the end of it. And then we just we just buried our heads into it, and we had some already great ideas to go on. So we we just worked and worked. There was a lot of pressure, a lot of moments in that album that we could have done without, but it all made the record better because of the. You know, we were pushing harder and harder for more rock and, you know, Mutt was looking for commercial success and we were... Looking for we wanted harder rock. <laughs> so but the whole thing came came out fine where we were both, happy. you know, band and producer happy were happy. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, and I think that's what made it such an exceptional album. There was a lot... Yeah. You know, there was, there was the yeah. warning in there from for Bond. There was and the pressure and, yeah. and even the pressure. You know, like his mouth says, you get to because the title back and black and you know, and, they, and everyone the says, oh, it's a and the covers in black and it's they what they're really putting all the all their um, you know lucky numbers out there, aren't they? You know, here they are. They've just lost the singer. You know, they've got that against them. Yeah, Not many bands could 
could go out there and try and re recover from that, you know. Um, and he says, and then they, they want to call their album Back in Black, and then, and then they want it in a black cover, and it, everything seemed black, bleak. Yeah, that's right. No. It's, uh, and once they heard, we, we never let them hear, hear a, track, a track at all. Yeah. So when we actually delivered the album, I think they were stunned when they heard it. When they heard the music, then they were like, oh, "But it, let this go. Okay. This is going to be big." And um, yeah. yeah, it took a while. Could, actually. Yeah. Actually, <laughs> it was a creeper back in black. It crept up the charts. Mm -hmm. I think um, when we, we left, we toured there. We left. It was around fifties or something in the charts. It crept from like one eighty <laughs> over like three or four months period. And we got back to England, the tour was over, and um, mm. we got a call, your album's top ten. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it's selling, it sold something like, one of the calls was it sold a million alone just in LA. Mm -hmm. So we were going, what? Who's, you're having us on, you know. But, uh, we and missed all the, <laughs> the accolades in the States. We, <laughs> we, we were locked up in another little studio in London, working <laughs> on the next one. Right. <laughs> and there was some guy trying to buy my tour jacket. I remember that one. And he's going, hey, I'll give you five grand for that. No, make it six, it's yours. <laughs> <laughs> That's when I knew it was something. <laughs> So let's take a short break and recap the magic from part two of Body Parts before I get to my favourite Body Parts song. Lovely melons, guys. Well done. Bob and hair with ivory skin. Well, next to me. As mentioned in part one last week, my choice for my favourite body part song is a shoulder mentioning nugget, and it should have gone to Hey Jude, but I've gone with Jeff Buckley's beautiful Lover You Should Have Come Over, which we heard way back in episode 13's Dead by 40. Before we hear the song, here's Jeff Buckley talking about how he lets emotion guide his music. You're constantly searching in terms of where you want to take your music and, and where the music frankly leads you, but where did you shape your musical vision? Was it what you heard? Was it what you felt uh, pulling out of the air? And how long did uh, how long have you been carrying this vision? Was it clearly defined early on as to what you how you wanted to make music? Yes, yes, and yes. Maybe. Um, I suppose I would, um, maybe meaning to to always having it. Um, I guess I always knew what I didn't want. But I prefer, it's sort of like predicting the future. I mean, like any time you make plans for the future, an emotional future with somebody or, you know, any, any future whatsoever. There's nothing quite as spectacular as, as what the future will provide you without your help. So 
Oh, boy, I hope I can pull this into some sense well, now. You can do it now, man. Do focus. What I mean is, when I have an arrangement in mind, or when I have a song, an issue inside, like a song coming out, um, I don't put a result on it. I don't put it like, I want this to do this, and I want this section to do this, blah, blah, blah. I, it, it comes, the emotion has lyrics and a, and a melody and a, and, a, and a background to it, and I let it shape itself. Are you surprised then where the music takes you? No, because huh. it's somewhere recessed. It's, it's sort of like a storm that you see off in the distance, and you know you will get messed up by the storm, you just sit and wait for it. <laughs> Thanks again for listening to The Inside of My Brain. And as always, thanks to Rob Dean at Here's Your Radio Studios for the stupid podcast songs and Paddy Cummings at Finger Me Audio for ongoing tech and web help. And if you haven't heard it yet, I dropped a bonus episode called Don't Dream It's Over, Kill Rock and Roll With It Ain't Over Till It's Over the Hills and Far Away in a Manger. So if you want to work out what all that means and you've got to spare 30 minutes, check it out. It should be on your podcast app and Spotify. And it's also on the bonus episode tab of the website, arockandrollrabbithole.com. 
I'm also nuts deep in another bonus episode's research, which is focusing on one artist, similar to my Ringo bonus episode that I dropped a few weeks back. I'm really loving the research on that one, and I'm hopefully going to drop that next week. But these things take time, and we'll just fucking see how it goes. I do have plenty of time because we're still in a stupid lockdown, so no gigs for me for now. Please rate, review, subscribe, and share the podcast if you're digging it. And as mentioned at the start, if you do want to reach out and tell me what I got wrong, missed, or could do better in this free podcast that took me a few weeks to put together, please shoot me an email at take a second to get your first thought and ram it, ram it, ram it, ram it, ram it like shoot. at rockandrollrabbithole.com and I'll get back to you as soon as I give a shit. Nah, but seriously, if you want to say hi, you can get me on Instagram or Facebook, a rock and roll rabbit hole podcast, or you can hit me up at the abuse tab on the website. So to end the podcast, I like to add when I can a lesser known band or artist and welcome again to part three of self-indulgent corner as I'm going to use a song I co-wrote with my best mate Luke O'Connor for our band Steelbirds. And we wrote most of it when we did a seven week Southeast Asia trip about 10 years ago. Hello, Dan May, Nick Choate, and little gay Al Choate, if you're listening. And fuck you guys if you're not. Dude, I totally miss you. Anyway, we wrote this song while we were travelling around mainly Thailand, and the song's called Ekamai, which is a big bus station where a lot of our adventures started. Check out the Victims tab on the website, arockandrollrabbithole.com, for some more Steelbirds tunes. And this song is the only recorded proof of me ever playing upright bass. It mentions heart in the chorus. And it had me riding the BTS train in Bangkok about five or six times on a subsequent trip, trying to record the onboard train announcement with my phone, announcing that the next station is Ekamai. Ekamai by Steel Birds. Thanks again, guys. See ya.